Welcome to the Open Div Summit, a four-day pod conference around spirituality and meaning-making in the modern world. Each day, February 25th to 28th, we'll be releasing 10 to 20 pre-recorded conversations with top academics, theologians, clergy, and secular community leaders. In addition, each day we're hosting several live, interactive events on Zoom. We'd love to see you there. For more, check out summit.opendiv.org. Today's conversation is with Nick Moritis. Nick is the CEO of the Foundation for Young Australians, Australia's leading philanthropic organization dedicated to young people's social action. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Nick, I'm so excited to be here uh, chatting with Casey, thanks so much. Maybe just to start, you know, I came across you and your work from a doc you created around purpose-driven organizing, which I know is inspired by uh, Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Church. For folks who don't know, he, Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Church is his book for pastors on how to build a growing healthy church. But Nick, maybe just to start, how did you come across the Purpose Driven Church and why was it that you came to creating it? Yeah, I came across it probably 10 years ago now. The context and backstory is that I've been working mostly in that kind of nonprofit organizing field for around, since I was a teenager, almost 20 years. And basically in about 2010, my friend Anita convened a, a book club where organizers could get together and discuss different texts that we found relevant, interesting. And in Australia, to be honest, there wasn't much of a space at the time for campaigns organizers to, to share theory and thinking and practice. So this book club was a pretty um, like seminal moment for us. And we had the Purpose Driven Church. Anita somehow brought it along. And I don't know how she came across it, but it immediately became super clear that the Purpose Driven Church was not just irrelevant to church planting or church building in the context of the Rick Warren certainly intended it, but actually it was really relevant to all sorts of organizational types and particularly social change movements and, and organizing. And there were so many parallels with what we do in this world. And I just felt like he actually explained it more clearly than many other people do, many other social change theorists do. So, you know, I feel like um, that's how I came across it. In particular, at the time, a lot of Australian nonprofits, and I think globally, organizations are grappling with how do you like our policy policy campaigning or traditional policy campaigning where you would uh, research an issue, come up with a great briefing document, you know, launch it in the media and uh, hopefully the politicians would follow. It was just not working anymore, particularly with the, the decline of mainstream media and sort of the decline of expertise. And I think people were looking for new things. And one thing people were finding was working with people power. And so Rick Warren's philosophy at Purpose Driven Church around kind of intentionally building community and uh, through relationships was just super, super relevant. Does that help? Super cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm curious, when you first read the book, you mentioned that, you know, it had these ties to what you were doing and, and this kind of greater organizational implications. What were some of the concepts that you initially looked at that really sprung out of you as things were it helped reframe your work or felt really, really resonant. Yeah, absolutely. I just thought there was so many similarities between the nonprofit context and the churches that Rick Warren was describing. Like just the fact that, you know, he has this idea that too many churches focus on their traditions or their buildings or their administration or their, their kind of established programs or their donors but not focus on, you know, he probably doesn't call them donors, he calls them seekers, but they're donors in the nonprofit context. And that this kind of is in contrast to thinking, you know, first and foremost about 
purpose and what we're about achieving and what our impact is going to be in the world. And he also talks about the concept of kind of majoring in the minors, the idea of focusing on administration and kind of perpetuating yourself rather than on actually doing the work. In his context, the work is kind of evangelical and the nonprofit context is like, you know, spreading the message of your cause. So it just seems so relevant. So I immediately took it away and started exploring the concepts with one of the clients of the consultancy I was running at the time, the Australian Conservation Foundation. And two of the most relevant things that came out of it were the circles of commitment framework. And I guess I'm not sure what it was actually called, but the Saddleback Sam user personas tool, essentially. Let me explain those. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, let's start with circles of commitment, because I think that is actually the one that has gained the most traction. And I should say, and we'll come to this maybe in a moment, but like, since I wrote this little summary, well, I don't know if I mentioned, but I wrote a summary of the purpose-driven church. I kind of stripped out a lot of the religion and just added in examples of nonprofit contexts. It's sort of taken off and many, 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 many people in Australia and around the world are using this. But yes, circles of commitment is the one that seems to have gained the most traction. The idea basically being kind of like a traditional ladder of engagement, but a ladder of engagement where truly people are like leaning over and pulling people up the next rung, if that makes sense. And I think that hasn't been essential to ladder of engagement concepts in the kind of nonprofit world as it should have been, but that's central to circles of commitment. The idea that this is intentional kind of people development exercise. So circles of commitment, the idea in Rick Warren's thing is really that there is, well, I've sort of mentioned five, which are the community, the crowd, the congregation, the committed and the core. And he also has a commissioned, which I, for some reason, didn't include, but I understand why he included it. And each of these circles has a different context and a different sort of set of activities that the people in the circles are doing. So, for example, the community are the people at large who are yet to be really deeply engaged. The crowd of the people who, you know, come along to church services, maybe they're not necessarily believers. They, they just come along and that's Rick Warren's idea. I think in the nonprofit context, it might be an environment organization that organizes a town hall meeting and invites people along to learn about an issue. Not everyone is fully convinced as yet. You know, some people are yet to be persuaded, but that's the purpose of the exercise. Then there's the congregation who are like probably there as well. They're the rusted on, they're the base, they're the believers. They are already committed and they're involved in the heart of the activity of the organization or the based organization. Then there's the next step up or in is the committed, and they're the people who are sort of the active volunteer leaders in a nonprofit context. I think both in nonprofits and organizing and in Rick Warren's work, often they're involved in running small groups or leading small groups for the congregation or the broader community. Then there's the core, the people who are sort of the innermost circle, the office bearers of the nonprofit, the staff potentially who are running training, leadership development, and trying to organize in a sense and coordinate everyone else. So yeah, that's the concept in brief. But what's really exciting about it is that, you know, each role has a role, to fit, not just their own role, but a role in helping the other people become more deeply engaged. And so, for example, the uh, congregation might be in the choir, seeing the message, literally, to the crowd has come along. And that's the same with organizing. It might be that the equivalent group are the door knockers who are going door to door to, you know, canvas on behalf of a cause or raise awareness of a, or doing the phone calls on behalf of a political candidate. So right, that's my random long story, but I think you can see how there's direct parallels between these two worlds. And this is a super relevant framework for the, the nonprofit world too. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you know, in your work with 
the conservation nonprofit or with one with any other folks, you know, is there any concrete example of how you can say that this thinking kind of really changed how you were approaching organizing in some way? Yeah, I mean, I think an example would be, well, certainly the Australian Conservation Foundation have gone on to use it over the last 10 years and continually refine it and in fact popularized it with other people as well. And at a very basic level, you know, another concept of purpose-driven church is literally just repeating your purpose in every meeting. Like that is something that too many organizations don't do. And I think that that's a very basic thing that is now embedded in lots of these groups. But with circles of commitment, yeah, the Cancer Council in Australia has been one of the most active users of this circles of commitment methodology. Maybe they simplified it a bit, but essentially, basically, they run training programs with their volunteer leaders. And previously, when they were asking volunteer leaders to organize activities or events, it wasn't necessarily clear what the purpose of the events were. But when they can explain this framework to the volunteers, the volunteers understand that what they're doing is organizing in Rick Warren's terms, bridging events for the community. And that is about bringing people in. It's an intentional exercise of essentially acquisition of new participants or members to your organization. And so running a town hall event with an intention around acquisition is quite different to running a town hall event with just unclear purpose. And it changes how you design the program. I mean, it makes you think about welcoming the individuals to the space. You think about explaining the context of the organization. You think about designing it in a way that isn't full of jargon and full of the kinds of language that, you know, the Rustadons already might agree with. So it really just changes the mindset of the volunteer leaders. So embedding this, this language, this concept of there being a, you know, a very intentional development exercise where you're seeking to bring people in and that you know, the role of a volunteer leader can be to run events with this in mind is important, but also helping volunteer leaders understand that their goal is not just to organize the event itself, it's to organize other people to organize the event. So it's an exercise in structure and leadership. Because I think people, when they enter a nonprofit organizational context, and the Cancer Council is a good example of this, it's not like a workplace where you understand the management structure. So you have to sort of have a different framework presented to you. And this is a framework that works, that people resonate with. Well, and it's so interesting. I know as someone, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the more kind of community building, which sometimes has been a nonprofit, sometimes it's been a for-profit. But I think one of the most interesting challenges I found is like how to really invite folks in to that first level of leadership around then leading things for other folks, right? It's easy to kind of get folks in. I found to come and to be kind of in the crowd, maybe congregations to be formal members, but to really create a structure that allows other people to step into leadership roles and then to not just be organizing something for other people, but then to be pulling in new potential leaders. In modern day church planting, this is called like multiplication theology or multiplication mm-hmm. making, which is like, how do you create churches that create churches that create churches? So people are leaders that create leaders that create leaders, et cetera. This is very basic, but people, especially in small groups in a kind of cause-based context, often just get comfortable hanging out with the other 10 people who are part of their small group. And they don't think, oh, we should actually probably do something to get more people into the group. We should, that, that doesn't... Even if it means we have to split, right? They're so focused on their own action and what they can achieve under their own, you know, with their own 10 friends, that they're less focused on growth. And so I think people are scared of growth. Yeah, it does mean that they, they might have to split the group, play different leadership functions, be less involved in the hands-on activities. But I think what Purpose Driven Church does is, you know, even if you just ask people to map, there's a group in Australia called the Sydney Alliance, which is an alliance of different faith, union and nonprofit organisations. When they got people to just map 
who their people were and where they fitted within the different circles of commitment, they realized that they were not really doing a great job of bringing many more people in their network than they actually were activating. And they didn't have system or process to bring them into the core purpose work of the alliance. So I just think it's a really great framework to help people remind themselves about the importance of what we're all about in a, in a cause-based context is getting more people to care about the thing we care about and active and engaged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many organizations, right, just bring people in and then, uh, you know, just let them kind of, let the enthusiasm and motivation of what's going peter out. Don't have a structure also to put them into small groups, for example. Like, it's about balancing the different circles of commitment as well, right? So if you have too much crowd or too much congregation and not enough committed, then you're going to struggle to have people sustain your action and grow their, their leadership over time. So in the climate movement in Australia, a lot of groups are using this particularly around, you know, even coal organising. It's popular within this kind of school striker movement. The, thinking about how do you actually translate this into, into small groups and distributed organising. I mean, there's lots of parallels with other concepts in organising here, like distributed organising or Marshall Gantz's philosophy with the snowflake. But you know, I think on some level, the circles of commitment and the, the models that are present in purpose-driven church are easier to understand for the average person. And a big part of, I think, what Rick Warren talks about is you need to expose the theory of how you're organizing people to the individuals involved so they understand their place and their role and what it takes to get to the next level as well, like what coming into the circle actually will involve and almost like acknowledging that that is a, a process of graduation rather than something that happens simply... Uh, organically and is kind of passed over as a, as a, as a celebratory moment too. So interesting. I mean, and it seems like it also gives meaning to when a group that has been very comfortable and has built really strong personal relationships, when they bring in new folks and perhaps have to, you know, go through mitosis, meiosis to split into two maybe cells or four cells or four groups, it gives a purpose for doing that, right? It's like, you know, this is all for this greater goal. That's the real reason why we're here. This isn't just a social club. It's about, how do we create more effective action towards cause? And we can do that. Having four X as many people involved is almost certainly usually better than just having, you know, the initial core group, right? Yeah, totally. And another concept, I'm just jumping around here a bit, but there's so much richness in the in the resource. Just the idea that you should take out of the meetings, the administrivia, the stuff that ends up focusing most people's attention when you go to a I think that's why a lot of young people don't want to engage in kind of traditional forms of group organizing, you know, it's because too much of the focus of the meetings people were together was on administration and the kind of secretarial and legal routine things. And if you take that out of the meeting, you do that outside and instead you focus on what the work is and what you're doing together and on building community and on celebration and on relationship building, you know, you just have a much better experience. So I think that's such a useful framework too. It reminds people that the heart of this is not the administering ourselves. Right, right, for sure. Well, and I, I know you mentioned the personas as well, Saddleback Sam. Yeah. But also, I think it's also Saddleback Sam and Saddleback Samantha, if I remember correctly. I think Saddleback Samantha too. Yeah. You know, it's that, the, the picture that I have, and maybe it's been updated in a more recent version of the book, but it's like of this middle-aged white man with this lovely shirt, and he has like this amazing beeper from the 80s. So it's always a talking point like that Saddleback Sam is stuck in the 80s. But nevertheless, the idea, I think the innovation, and this in some respects preceded a lot of the discussion 
that has been you know dominant in the design world, but also in the in the nonprofit world over the last ten years of you know deploying user experience concepts like user personas to help inform you know your thinking and planning. And I think taking it out of just a simple communications concept, which it's often used in, but to help nonprofits and even the average volunteer understand who they're trying to mobilize and engage with and do that in a very deliberate way is super helpful. So the other in- insight there is that Saddleback Sam, which is a diagram of individual, and then there's like attributes associated with Saddle- with Saddleback Sam and Samantha, uh, that they're kind of psychographic rather than simply demographic, which means that they're belief statements. They're what the person actually cares about and you know, their thoughts on things. And so when you ask a, a volunteer of a nonprofit to describe, you know, if, if their goal is to go get more people engaged, they can sit down and just think consciously and conscientiously about who they're trying to engage and what might motivate them. That really helps inform a better, for example, one-to-one conversation or a door knocking exercise or the design of materials that will resonate with that individual. So yeah, this tool has been super relevant. An example would be... Um, Many years ago in my consulting firm, we were employed to work for the Green Party of Australia, which is a more mainstream party than I think the Green Party is in the US. But we had to develop a campaign and part of that was understanding the user persona or the profile of a likely prospective person who would change their vote to to green. And so we developed up a, a series of essentially saddleback profiles and... You know, we did some research and found that, for example, the average person who would like to do this was a middle-aged woman who was, you know, actually really interested in going to live music of various times. It was a very specific profile. We did some extensive market research to figure this out. But, you know, actually having this user persona that we could share directly with the average, you know, door knocker or canvasser was super helpful. It, it made it very relevant. And we, in fact, then used our Saddleback personas as we found people who were like them and took photos of them and actually centered that whole advertising campaign around those people. So, you know, that's probably an extrapolation of the purpose of Saddleback and Sam and Samantha. But understanding your audience is critical to any course. Right, right, right. The other key insight here was a tool when Rick Warren first uh, chose to put the church in Saddleback, I think in Orange County, I think it was originally. The I think he thought basically that the barriers to people getting engaged in the church would be they just didn't believe in, in religion or maybe that was the, the main barrier to people getting involved in church. And then he did, he actually just asked people <laughs> what are the main barriers. And so that informed the profile that he was developing of, of the likely candidate. And they weren't, the people were uninterested in religion. By and large, people were open to religion. But what they had barriers around were actually more practical things like the music might be boring or the service might be boring or there's no parking or the childcare is insufficient or, you know, people like them didn't go to it. It was much more practical. And so I think that's the same with, with many nonprofit causes that I've been part of. Nonprofits automatically assume the barriers people have to getting involved are like they don't care about the cause or they don't know enough about it or, you know, they haven't been given enough facts about the information. But in fact, the barriers people have are generally around their time availability, the fact that the nonprofit, you know, is hosting their meetings at an inconvenient time of day or that, you know, they're not addressing their real barriers. So helping people think about what are the real barriers is another tool that we've used a lot. Right, right. Well, and I'm curious, you know, in the church context, there are these, you know, kind of known rituals or or archetypal rituals of like a a worship experience, particularly in the Christian tradition. And I'm curious, you know, for especially the top, layers of organizing what do you think about what kind of 
face structures do you think organizations should create to start catching some of these folks who might be interested? I know you mentioned like door-to-door knocking, you mentioned meetings, but yeah, what is the kind of like Sunday service version for nonprofits or organizations? Yeah, it's a really interesting question and I'd love to explore this a lot more. I think that, you know, I was actually talking to someone yesterday about the Youth Climate Movement in Australia and an observation that actually a lot of the practices from the purpose-driven church or from youth groups in the religious context, not just in the Christian faith, but perhaps in the Jewish faith, could be really helpful to uh, youth climate organising to think through what like a, a Sunday school might look like where it combined elements of service, of learning, of ritual, of relationship building, of coming together and of volunteering. Like There's so many elements there that would be very relevant and you could learn about the issues. Take some action in your community, maybe like some practical things to change the light bulbs in your school or you could raise money for getting solar panels on the community centre. You could engage with the local government to talk about the issues that are out there. So there's so much you could do as part of a much more comprehensive framework. And I think too much we, yeah, nonprofits and causes do kind of segment out their activities in a really weird way that is like you're either interested in donating or you're interested in learning. You're either going to be someone who goes and meets with their their local elected official, or you're going to be someone who does this. And I think most people want to have a much more holistic relationship with any cause. And I think that's what faith-based communities have understood for, for a very long time. And I think, yeah, we have a lot to do in the nonprofit world to kind of create a more comprehensive experience, people that touches all of our you know, senses and emotions and ways of wanting to engage. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's so interesting. I think one of the things that really struck me about Rick Warren's model when I first read his book is the different circles of commitment. He also has this like baseball diamond, right? Which is like his way of thinking of like, I guess they have four courses to move people through the different five layers of commitment. And it's not until like a third or fourth layer of commitment that you're asked to tithe, right? To give X percent of your income mm-hmm. to the church, right? You know, they say that until they're pretty committed already, right? And, and I think it's so interesting with nonprofits and companies, it's like, how are you relating to people in a meaningful way before you ask for money? It's the money question should only come in once someone's like super bought in already to 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 to, yeah. uh, to an organization to a cause, right? I think people think that money is an easy ask, and it's you know almost like a way of people will give as a way of buying off their obligation or their guilt to otherwise engage with an issue, and I think that's a really dangerous way of. You know, it isn't purposeful, really. It doesn't actually drive engagement over the longer term and and makes people think that, yeah, the only way to engage is financial. So, you know, if you compare that to the role that even a crowd, in Rick Warren's context, the crowd would play a role in, in bridge events with the community, for example, participating in the church activity, you know, ex, the, you know activities or the, the, you know, Easter parade or something. So thinking about how do you engage people in, in things that are actually helping bring other people along the journey and maybe are perceived as harder asks, but people welcome harder asks. They actually want to feel like they're doing something really important. And I think asking people for money doesn't really feel that important. Like if I ask you to, to do something more significant, to commit for a longer period of time, that's obviously, in behavioral science just shows that people are actually they're actually often willing to do something more difficult than something simple. And asking to do the difficult thing first and then asking to do the simple thing, if they say no, is, is, creates an anchor effect as well. So you might get more people doing the simple thing if you ask for the more difficult thing. And I just think see, people are scared of asking for people to do difficult things. 
But the challenges we face as a world actually are really daunting and difficult. So it sort of cheapens the issues if we're just constantly asking for the easy way out. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The other thing I love about the circles of commitment model is that, you know, it's not just everyone in one organization. It's like, you know, you connect the people who really are desiring that higher level of commitment with other similarly committed people so that, you know, because I think being around other folks who care as much about you do is a really meaningful experience, right? Someone doesn't want to be really committed to something that no one else is committed to. But if there's like a core group of folks who are really engaged, it, it is this kind of virtuous cycle that leads to more engagement and more, uh, yeah. Totally, totally. I think just generally speaking, this whole concept has become super easy to share and spread within the nonprofit sector. And it's actually become a really, like probably the best example of the last 10 years in Australia anyway, of knowledge transfer between the, the kind of church world and the nonprofit world. And also one of the best examples of like shared language and shared concepts that have just diffused them, their way into kind of thousands of organizers across a whole bunch of different sectors. And it's actually allowed people to transfer between like the labor union movement and the environment movement and the human rights space and their different kind of causes people care about, literally shift roles, shift jobs, shift leadership responsibilities while still retaining a shared language, which is super interesting, I think. So interesting. And is that the language of really like this commitment levels and all this, or is it also, are there structural things that you're seeing are common amongst uh, initiatives across the sector? I think the focus on intentional people development, the circles of commitment framework, the use of a psychographic profile of your target audiences or audiences, the focus on just coming back to purpose over and over. You know, in my context, I've started a new job this year at the Foundation for Young Australians, which is a yeah. um, which is a, a major kind of philanthropy here in Australia that's been around for around 50 years. And so for me, I've also been thinking about how to apply this framework to my work. You know, I think for me, FYA, you know, like any organization had become perhaps too focused on some of the the kind of things that were not purpose focused, but were just the way that things happen. Like we have a big building, for example. So if you have a big building that you own, does that mean you should design all your programs around uh, things that would benefit from having large amounts of physical space? Probably not. Like, frankly, you should design it around what's going to achieve the most impact, not what is easy to do with the physical space infrastructure. So coming back to purpose at the very beginning of our conversations has been fundamental there. And yeah, also just thinking about making sure that we were getting outcomes rather than focusing on the administration. I mean, this is basic, but I just like the fact that the Purpose Driven Church text has all of this very uh, clearly uh, like structured in the resource in one single place. It's like management 101, but it's like easier to understand than any you know, management text you might read. Yeah, I've often heard Rick Warren, I've heard Purpose Driven Church as if, like, as if Peter Drucker, the founder of Modern Management, was crossed with like, the Drift Lighting World. I think uh, I think Peter Drucker was actually a mentor of Rick's. Right, Rick's that's so interesting. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, Nick, this is an interesting conversation. I love what you did kind of with the summary that you created and kind of the adaptations you made for the organizing world. We'll definitely link to that in the notes. Before we jump off, if folks want to learn more about you or about either the work you're doing or kind of around this type of work or how to apply some of these ideas to their organizations where should they look online for stuff from you for more resources around the topic yeah absolutely i mean you can find the resource that i created we sort of 
redesigned it a little bit last year to update some of the, the look and feel, but uh, it's on the Commons Library as well as on the website of Australian Progress, which is the organisation I previously worked for until until recently. And for me, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm now heading up the Foundation for Young Australians. And I think we're, we're really interested in how we continue to apply this thinking in youth organising in Australia, but also would love to share with and kind of share ideas and lessons with, with folks all around the world in this work and see if we can, you know, build a bigger movement. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I love the idea that maybe we can continue the conversation online in some format around that, creating almost communities of practice. So, but in the meantime, Nick, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this conversation from the OpenDiv Summit. For more, check us out at summit.opendiv.org.